Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Catherine Miller, the founder of the Miller Law Group and director for this, at the Center for Understanding in Conflict. I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And my guest today is Nancy Collier. She's a psychotherapist, interfaith minister, author, public speaker, and workshop leader. She's a longtime student of Eastern spirituality, awareness, meditation, and mindfulness practices. And those forms create the ground of her work. She's a regular blogger for Psychology Today and the Huffington Post, and she's written a number of books, the most recent of which is The Power of Off, The Mindful Way to Stay Sane in a Virtual World, which was published last November. Welcome, Nancy. It's terrific to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. We were talking a little bit before the show about one of the approaches that I like to talk about with my clients is a mindful approach to making decisions and transitions, including divorce in their lives. And I'm wondering, you're sort of an expert. Do you think that that is a wise approach or that there's a better way? I think it's an incredibly wise approach. I think mindfulness, mindfulness is such a catch-all term. I mean, we throw it around. And most people, if you really ask them, they don't really know what mindfulness is. Mindfulness simply means paying attention to the present moment on purpose without judgment. That's the definition, paying attention to the present moment on purpose without judgment, which just simply means that we show up for our moments. We're present in them, and we're allowing whatever is arising to arise, and we're not attacking ourselves that we're having that experience. So certainly, you know, when we're going through something as hard as, divorce, we want to bring this attitude of compassionate presence with ourselves, of course, with our spouse, that goes with our children, but most of all with ourselves. And so what does that really look like? That that would be, what, what does it look like to walk through a divorce with a sense of compassion and presence for ourselves? Essentially, go ahead. I was going to say, you said a lot there, so let's try to unpack that a little, because what you're saying about mindfulness and your description of it is very, very simple, but it's not that easy, because I think, you know, my observation of myself and other people is that, you know, we're always going somewhere, right, whether or not it's internally or externally or both. Like, there's always some sort of agenda, and I think what you're saying is that mindfulness is just sort of slowing down taking a moment just to appreciate where you are and recognize it for what it is. Exactly. That was very well put. And when we're going through, particularly we're going through transitions, often, you know, we want to get to the next step. We're so desperate to get to the next step. And we're reactive and we're in this sort of tsunami of emotional instability. And bringing mindfulness to the process of divorce means stopping every now and again And just doing what you said, just taking a look without judgment at what you're experiencing, if it's pain, if it's fear, and allowing that, if it's excitement, if it's 
the sense of the unknown, allowing that to come to the table and just be with it just for a minute or two or 10 a day to land where you actually are. So you're in your actual experience. You're not trying to change it. You're not trying to make it better. And you're not trying to get anywhere else. Just even for the nervous system, you know, when we're going through transitions, our nervous system has a tendency to get depleted and to be fried. This process of stopping and just taking inventory of what's true. What is true for me in this moment? You know, am I frightened of the unknown? Am I anxious about all the details? And it doesn't mean to go deep into the story, the narrative about all that. It just means stop trying for a moment to make your experience something other than what it is. Why do you think that's so hard for people to do? Well, I think, you know, from the time we come out of the womb in this culture, we are conditioned to be changing our experience, to be getting somewhere. It's from the very beginning, you know, doing, doing, doing. And we really never learn this skill of being, of being with. We're supposed to be happy all the time. We're supposed to be living this fabulous life. And if there's something that feels not okay in it, we don't know how to get okay with not okay. And that's the skill that mindfulness starts to teach you when you start to practice it, is how to be okay when we're not okay. And I really see in every aspect of our lives, and now you bring in technology, which is all about getting somewhere else, adding more information, adding more entertainment. We never land where we are right now. And there are, our nervous systems are showing the consequences of that. So it's a complicated answer, but I would say from a very early conditioning, we are taught to get away from where we are if there's anything in it that feels slightly uncomfortable. You know, Nancy Collier, one thing that you just said, how to be okay when we're not okay. I mean, that's exactly what people who are getting divorced want, right? They feel not okay and they yeah. want to be okay. In some ways, they feel like many people, and this is not true for everybody, but many people feel like, you know what, I'll be okay if I can just get through this really fast, right? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and I'll just get through this really fast and then I'll kind of pick up the pieces yeah. and go on from there. Instead of saying, you know, wait a second, let me just take a second and, you know, a minute. We're not going to necessarily like roll around in misery for That's months it. at a time and therefore delay, you know, the end result. We're just going to stop for a minute and see where we are and how we're feeling about it and give ourselves a chance to catch up. That's it. You know, it's so simple and it's so hard. Sometimes when I work with clients, just the simple act of, sounds so silly, but putting your own hand on your own heart just naming, you know, I'm really struggling or I'm really frightened and saying what's true and letting that just be there without a solution. That's the thing. You know, the mind wants to jump in there and go, okay, so you're going to do this, you're going to do this, and then you're going to be okay. But just the process of saying, I'm not okay, I'm scared or whatever it is, is so healing. It's self-parenting in a certain way. and People say, well, then, well, what good does that do? You know, how, how does that help? That doesn't take me anywhere else. But it's paradoxical. Just stopping and being with yourself as you would with a child or as you would with someone you love, that company with our own experience is the healing. It's the very healing. 
And how do you think people should do this? Because I think sometimes people think, oh, well, I'm just, you know, I can't sit in the lotus position. I'm just, you know, I'm not up to it. I don't think that's what you're talking about. You know, people get stuck on technique. None of this has anything to do with technique. I don't care if you're running or you never cross your leg or you're laying down in bed and you do this. Mindfulness is about bringing your own attention to your own experience. And, you know, it's so funny because we have this illusion, like you said, yeah, well, when this is done, I'll be okay. When this is done, when this is done. And we have this idea that life at any point stops delivering challenges. It doesn't mean that there isn't great joy in life. For sure there is. And there are always aspects of it that are difficult. It's just part of it. And yet we have this relentless demand, Catherine, that it that the challenges go away and that at some point that hurdle, that hurdle, and it's counterintuitive, but well-being comes from accepting that part of it is just hard. Part of it is hard. And how do I be with the hard? It doesn't have anything to do with the way we're sitting or focusing on the breath. There are lots of things you can do, certainly. But it has to do with kind of coming on to your own side, coming on to your own team, and being honest about what you're really living. This is Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Catherine Miller, and my guest today is Nancy Collier, a psychotherapist and a longtime student of meditation and mindfulness practices. And we're talking about using mindful approaches to divorce and how that can help people really ground themselves, I think in any crisis and in life in general. Yes. And one other thing I just want to jump in and say on that is mindfulness also has to do with how we relate to our spouse or ex-spouse as we're going through this. So in mindfulness, we get very, very clear about what's true. What's true for me? You know, what, what didn't work in this relationship and what do I what do I know is true in my deepest, deepest heart, right? And so we can communicate that in a more loving and more uh, a less reactive style when we bring mindfulness to the to the whole process because we're just naming what's true, right? It's not about the other. It's not about any of the conflict. It's just getting really, really clear about I couldn't do this. And I know that. And I am not okay that that's happening. And being able sometimes to express these things to our soon-to-be ex-spouse can be incredibly helpful. It is out of the whole dialogue. It's kind of part of uh, nonviolent communication. This is so. It's just a reality. And that can be quite helpful for people as they go through divorce. I think that's absolutely true that when we reframe the conversation, you know, people get themselves into these conflict traps where they repeat, repeat, repeat the same conflict dynamic and it's about feeling misunderstood and there's a lot of accusation. You never do this. You always do that. You know, and I feel so misunderstood. You don't understand where I'm coming from. But the truth is that I also don't understand necessarily where you're coming from. And if you can reframe what it is you're asking for or what it is you want the other person to do or not do, from an I personal perspective rather than from a blaming perspective, I've noticed the power of that in the room and it really is huge. Oh, it's so huge. You know, 
to you do this in your context and our contexts are not that dissimilar, but in couples therapy, you know, teaching people to just speak with the word I, I know this is so for me. And then now I'm done speaking and now you speak from the I and from there we can find perhaps some empathy, even if it might be empathy in the dissolution of this, but the arguing stops when there's role reversal, when I can put myself in your shoes and just hear what your experience is radically different than mine. I get that. Then the argument is over. There are two human beings here who shared whatever they shared, and I can hear your experience and you can hear mine, and they will not be the same. And something about that is in the mindfulness process because it teaches us to be very truthful about our experience. And that takes you completely out of that reactive, blaming, terrible place, which feels so bad because we've linked our freedom to another person changing. And we can't do that. We can't link our freedom to another person changing. And you know, on that front, that when we realize that conflict requires my participation, it requires me jumping in there and getting on board that train. But if I'm just here and I name what's so for me, I'm free. I've just gotten myself free of this whole horror. You know, I love the way you phrase that because I think that for people, it does really feel bad to people to blame. And yet they feel like, well, if they don't blame the other, then they have to blame themselves. And blame isn't really the point, is it? We have to get out of the dialogue of blame, precisely because of what you just said insightfully, which is blame feels terrible. It feels terrible to feel. It feels terrible to be blamed and to feel blaming. I would say worse to feel blaming because we're trapped in this narrative. We're trapped. If you would do it differently, I'd be okay. Oh, my goodness, I don't want to be in that place, right? Right, where I'm dependent on you to feel okay. Exactly, absolutely. So what we can get clear is this doesn't work for me the way it is. But when I do that, I'm saying, you know, fight with reality, reality wins. I worked with a couple for a long time, and for 17 years, she demanded that he be something other than what he was. Fight with reality, reality wins. and. At the final end of that, she realized this is who I'm married to, right? She got that. It sounds so simple. And then she got comfortable with this. It brings me pain that it's like that way, Mm. that it's that way. And that is such a different place. Now we're back to self-compassion. It's very painful for me that he does these things. Now we are out of the cycle of I need you to change. Now we have choice. Now we actually have choice. We can leave or we cannot leave. But the other thing you learn in mindfulness practice, and one thing that I practice in my life all the time, is when we're headed down that road of repeating, repeating, repeating all his crimes, all the things he does that ruin this relationship, there starts to be a knowing, maybe maybe it's an age thing, maybe not, but we have to have suffered enough where you realize this is not going to make me happy, this repeating of the story. We have to get that in ourselves, that the thing we're after, which is to feel well and to feel you know, at peace, it's not going to 
happened by trying to figure this out this way. And sometimes when we get that at a really cellular level, we just drop out of it. We can just stop, just stop repeating to ourselves. I'm talking about our own thought patterns about what he's done. We just stop. And then it's funny, something opens up when we refrain from the sort of fomenting of the negative dialogue. It's very interesting. So what would you imagine you have, we have a listener out there who is thinking, that sounds great, but I feel really stuck. I'd love to be able to do that, but I can't because I need to defend myself. I feel like, well, if I don't keep speaking up for myself or or denying or rejecting what it is that he's saying, but I'm, I want to do this. This sounds great. What do you think would be like the first step to we start on this path? Well, I would suggest to that person, and it's a kind of a scary thing to suggest, but I would say experience what it's like when you're with this person as they are. So if you were to stop protecting your identity and stop defending your ego and see what is it like to be with this person I'm married to. So right in that, we're, again, coming back to the truth, Catherine. We're saying, what really is it? If I stop trying to make it something other than what it is, right, can I bear it? Can I bear it? Now, we have different questions. Is this a place I want to be in if I really look at it the way it is? And then I would also ask this person, what are you defending? What version? Because, again, we can't make him stop attacking you. We can't make him into somebody that you feel safe with. But what we could ask is, what version of yourself are you defending? What is it that feels so important to you that he know about you that isn't reflected here? So you see, right away, we're changing the conversation between you and you. What heartbreak is there about his idea of you? Or what is it so deeply misunderstood in you that needs attention, right? Right away, we have left him in the dust. He may or he may not come on board, but we're loving that part of ourselves that feels so misunderstood and not known. That's really, I think, terrific advice. This is Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Catherine Miller, and I'm speaking today with Nancy Collier, a psychotherapist and a student of Eastern spirituality. And we're talking about meditation and mindfulness practices and divorce. Uh, we're also available as a podcast on my website, www.westchesterfamilylaw.com, as well as on iTunes and SoundCloud. And Nancy Collier, if there are people who are listening and are interested in knowing more about you, maybe reading one of your books, how can they get in contact with you? Sure. If you want more information, my website is www.nancycollier.com, and it's with one L, so C-O-L-I-E-R.com. And there are a couple books. One is specifically about what we're talking about. It's called Inviting a Monkey to Tea, and that is Befriending Your Mind and Discovering Lasting Contentment. And then the more recent book, which is a lot about also how technology impacts intimacy in couples and how we are abandoning each other through these devices, not just in the normal ways we abandon each other. And that's called the power of off, the mindful way to stay sane in a virtual world. And 
and other books are available on Amazon and everywhere books are sold. Well, let's just take a couple of minutes to talk about that because it's not about divorce, but it is about relationships. And, you know, oftentimes I'll go out to dinner with friends or with my husband and I'll, you know, look around the restaurant and you'll see all these couples together and they're out there with their phones and they're, you know, they're sitting together and, you know, they're on their phones. And it seems so crazy to, to do that when you have like, you're, you could do that at home. You could do that in the bathroom. I mean, you don't need to do that while you're there with someone presumably wanted to eat a meal with. It is so crazy. And, you know, when I have to say to the clients out loud, you know, it changes the experience of that dinner. If your phone is there in between you two, you're basically saying to that partner that something better could come in. And, you know, from time immemorial, we have been running from each other and from the present moment. We've been trying to avoid each other, to dodge intimacy to dodge the awkwardness of being together and all this sort of stuff. And what these iPhones do is they just give us a condoned way to do that. That's what they do. And, you know, it's so heartbreaking because attention is love. Attention is everything. And we crave connection. We At a, at a human level, we crave intimacy and connection. And yet, the very way that we are spending our time and where we're placing our attention is not bringing us a state of well-being. It's actually contrary to what we really crave. We're distracting ourselves away from the very thing that we long for. So it's something that I'm addressing all the time in my practice about making a mindful choice about how and where you want to place your attention. It's important. It really is important. The one thing that makes couples work that I have found over 20 years of practice is the capacity to be empathic, the capacity to be inside someone else's shoes and get what they're living. That's it. Whether you agree or not, irrelevant, but get it. And when we put these devices in between ourselves, not only do we say you're not important, but we've lost any chance that we can really inhabit their experience with them. We can really know them. We've opted out to know Google, to know nothing, to to bounce around the ether instead of really the work that it takes to know another human being. And that's the key to successful relationships is the capacity to listen and listen well without yourself in the way. What is your experience? If I can know that, we have a chance. You know, it's really interesting because doing what I do as a divorce lawyer for 30 years and then some, I don't like to think about that too much. But, you know, people ask me all the time, you know, what's the major reason people get divorced? What's the most common reason people get divorced? And they're thinking it's sex, it's money. But for me, I think that it's a failure of communication. And then the failure of communication shows itself in you know, in the bedroom or, you know, in the bank account or the spending patterns and the arguing. But it's really not about that. It's about that people really don't feel heard. They don't listen. They're not trying. Undoubtedly. Together anymore for whatever reason. Because whatever we walk through in life, whether it's one spouse is making a lot of money, one isn't, or one has a high sex drive, one it doesn't, none of it has to do with the contents of life, although some are certainly more challenging than others. But it's how do we want to be with those contents? And if we can understand again and take the side of this other person and get inside their experience, 
the contents become irrelevant. That's the place where it breaks down is how am I going to be with the disparity? You know, we start out in relationships with all the things we share and all of the, you know, the infatuation. And then we go through the stage of all the things that we don't share. And a lot of couples end there. But if we can work through that stage, and it may come at 18 years, it may come at 20 years, but if we can get to the, I call it the trunk of the tree, where we can disagree on so many things, but there's an understanding of your experience that's compassionate, then then we have a chance again. But it's not the contents. The contents just give us more opportunity to practice. Another freaking growth opportunity, we call it. Here it is. Right. I love that expression. Yes. Yes. It's really, you know, it's this attitude of mindfulness that we bring to everything, which is compassionate, which is, okay, this is arising. I don't judge that. How do I want to be with it within myself? First and foremost, within myself, when we're struggling in relationship, we have way too much attention on the other and what the other is doing to me. Well, we don't need a device to abandon ourselves in that case. We've already abandoned ourselves. So that's the goal is to come back home to our own heart. Nancy Collier, it's been a pleasure having you as our guest on Dialogue on Divorce. I think you've given us some really interesting things to think about, and I look forward to reading your books. Uh, My pleasure. Lovely to be here.